And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Good Tuesday morning, and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. And today I've got a, a, a guest that, uh, Thumper, uh, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, our, our guest today is retired Major Tom Havlin. Uh, Tom was uh, basically forced into an early retirement because he refused the clot shots. And uh, this was at a time when this was going on. He was a defense contractor. Uh, he was uh, standing up for the right for individuals to uh, uh, refuse the clot shot, and they wouldn't—they well, wouldn't have any part of it. So uh, Tom's going to be talking about his experience there, but he's also—it made him a, a, a staunch advocate for finding out just exactly what was in these shots and why there is a huge problem worldwide with people dying from uh, cardiovascular conditions, uh, blood clots, the uh, people that when they're, uh, when they're embalmed and when the uh, embalmers look at their bodies, they're loaded with these white latexy, uh, nasty clots in their bloodstream. He's trying to find out what's behind that. Uh, and, Dan? Yes. Uh, just, just to add to that, my uncle, uh, lived in an assisted uh, living home. Uh, he was uh, uh, 85, 85 years old. Never a history of uh, heart disease at all. Very few. He's as healthy as my 90-year-old mother is, uh, other than the fact that he was born autistic. Um, and uh, in order to stay in the home, he had to have the shots. He had four of them. And uh, he was sitting at the dinner table one evening uh, during this whole uh, nonsense. Wasn't feeling well, stood up and fell over dead. At 85, no history of heart disease at all. They did, and they, and they uh, classified it as massive heart attack. Just to put a little exclamation mark on where I'm at on this thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, we all know people 
that have had a very similar situation. And what Tom's going to be talking about, too, is the very, very significant unexplained deaths in young people, people under 50 years old that had no history of heart attack. And we're talking young athletes and all sorts of people. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Incidentally, Tom, I want to introduce you. Uh, he, uh, Tom is a, uh, a retired major from the Air Force. Like I say, he was uh, asked uh, to uh, uh, have an early retirement. He was working as a defense contractor at the time, and they required him to uh, take the vaccines. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, he has a, uh, a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and in mathematics and a master's degree in uh, data engineering and uh, computer science work. And as a result of that, it, uh, it put him in a position where he decided he's going to be part of the solution. He's going to track down just exactly what's behind all this stuff. And for that reason, uh, we're going to be hearing all of the information that he's gleaned. He actually has done studies now that have gone worldwide, and he's going to continue to expand on that. So, Tom, welcome to the program. I'm sure you noticed that uh, our show opener, uh, not only did we include Lee Greenwood, but we have the uh, Air Force's singing sergeants as, uh, as the backup for Lee Greenwood. Wow. Dan, thanks for having me on the show. What an inspiring intro to that. Yeah. I love the uh, the men and women in uniform. I feel bad right now, actually, that they are under such, uh, um, I, I would classify it as tyranny, basically, that they're under right now. And it's a, it's a sad thing that's happened to them, the mandating of the jabs. I know they've lifted it uh, for the time being, but they, they can bring it right back into place again. They never said that they, they apologized for it. You know, they did not apologize for it, and they reserve the right to bring those kind of things back again, which is it's a sad commentary. But um, as you mentioned, I'm a retired U.S. Air Force major, spent 20 years in the Air Force. Then after that, spent 16 years working as a defense contractor, work, working with the U.S. Air Force. So 36 years in total with and, and in the United States Air Force. But that all came to an abrupt halt, Dan, in uh, October of 2021. You recall that in September, Joe Biden came out with the mandates for the uh, military people, the government civilians, and defense contractors, of which I was one. I was working at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio at the time, and I had done some research during the year, and I, uh, I decided not to take the shots until I saw the data. Since I'm a data guy, I wanted to see the kind of data that was coming in on the shots. And I, you know, I saw that there was a pause at the J&J &J shot in April of 2021 for uh, blood clotting issues. And then they brought it back mysteriously and continued the shot until about a year later when they finally took it off the shelves completely. But um, the C our own CDC wasn't putting out very good information, Dan. So I went to the UK. I was looking at their official government data coming out of the United Kingdom. And they had a document that was uh, was called uh, SARS-CoV Variants of Concern uh, Technical Briefing Number 23. They would do these technical briefings every couple of weeks. And in this technical briefing, number 23 in table five of that document, it showed hundreds of thousands of breakthrough cases of COVID amongst the fully vaccinated by the early fall of 2021. So we had proof right there and then that the shots were not stopping 
people from catching COVID. They were not stopping people from transmitting COVID. In fact, Rochelle Lewinsky had gone on uh, CNN on in August of 2021 and actually told Wolf Blitzer that the uh, COVID-19 vaccine does not stop the uh, Delta variant from you catching it or transmitting it. But yet a full month later, Joe Biden still put the mandates on the military to take the shot, knowing that in you know, full effect. So that to me was just unethical to require you to take an exper experimental shot based upon this new uh, mRNA technology using a new lipid nanoparticle delivery system. You know, it just, it went against everything. It, it, it went against the uh, ethics. It went against the data that I was seeing. So I decided uh, when a email came out from a three-star Air Force general uh, on, in October of 2021, uh, basically trying to guilt those of us who hadn't taken the shot yet into getting it. I sent an email back to this three-star Air Force general, and I said, shame on you. Instead of standing up for our right to decide for ourselves whether or not to take an experimental drug, you chose to spend your time trying to guilt us into taking the jab. Shame on you. And I didn't just send that email, Dan, to the general. I CC'd all 30,000 people that work at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio. It's the largest single-site employer in the state of Ohio. And I knew what was going to happen. I, I got a call a half hour later from the boss of the company I was working for, and I was fired from my $165,000 a year job as an electrical engineer um, You know, for basically shaming the Air Force general in front of the entire Air Force Base. But it had to be done, Dan. None of the colonels were pushing back. None of the generals were pushing back on these unlawful mandates. And I wanted to stand up and let the people know and go out with a bang and say that, hey, here's at least one person that's going to say no. I will not comply, as Michael said in the last show. Mm -hmm. Well, that that is a, a absolutely brave, but also a very sensible thing to do. You may have saved your own life by refusing those clot shots. But I think that you, you and I talked a little bit about this when we spoke the other day. And I think we all recognize it really isn't about the vaccines. It's about control. And it's about forcing people to do something that they know may not be in their best interest. And uh, ultimately, it's, it's about population control one way or the other, whether it be through sterilization, be through this massive clotting uh, regimen that seems to be coming out now, the, the cardiovascular disease, the myocarditis in young people, uh, things that uh, would seem incredibly diabolical if people would just sit down and, and rationalize a little bit and say, wait a minute, this is kind of where we're at. How did we get here? And that's what you're going to help us with today. Yeah. You know, it all started with the masking. Remember back in mm -hmm. 2020, when I was sent home from the base and most of us had to telework at the Air Force Base, a lot of the jobs uh, you could telework, but we'd still have to come in maybe once a week for in-person in meetings, but you would be required to wear the mask, you know? Mm -hmm. So the compliance, like you say, the control of compliance started with the, you have to wear the mask, you know? doesn't matter whether maybe 90% of you don't want to wear it. That 10% that wants to make you wear the mask, we're going to make you wear the mask. So you have to wear the mask. And so we saw that very early. And like you said, and, and what dumbfounded me is when I sent that email, I wasn't really that surprised, but 
out of all 30,000 people, nobody else really stood up and joined me in the cause. That's because people, they're afraid, right? They, they didn't want to lose their job because you were being coerced into taking the jabs or else lose your job. And I get it. You know, I was in a special position where I was already receiving a retired Air Force major's pay. I was only a year away from getting Social Security early. So I could tell them, uh, you know, that I'm not going to take the jab and make the stand. And so I felt actually an obligation to do so. Because, you know, our founding fathers, when I hear that song by Lee Greenwood, it reminds me of all the things that the, the, our founding fathers and those that went before us gave their lives. You know, young teenage boys on on, on the beaches of D-Day, for example, you know, yeah, 18-year-old, 19-year-old young men giving their lives for, for the cause of freedom. So for me to do what I did with pales in comparison to what those that have gone before us have done. So it's the least I could do is make this kind of a stand for freedom. And that's what we're, we're here to talk about today. After I actually got fired from my job, I took to the streets, Dan. I went and held a sign for um, over the next year from the fall of 2021 to the fall of 2022 saying no vax mandate. And I held other versions of sign like the one right behind me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, it's basically it's a shot of a syringe with the no symbol, the universal's no symbol through it. Um, and... I was trying to encourage uh, people not to take the jab, or at least to understand that they have their own decision to make, right? They should be able to make their own decision. What was interesting is I held that sign for about 120 days over that that year period, and I would hold it for about five hours a day. So I'd catch the lunch crowd, and I'd maybe take a half-hour break in the afternoon to get a snack, and then come back and try to catch the, the going home crowd. And I probably saw about half a million cars go by this real busy intersection for which I held the sign. It was like four lanes going each direction, two turn lanes. You know, there was a, a Walmart and a Best Buy and an Olive Garden and a Lowe's and you know, all kinds of businesses right there. So it was very, and it was close to the Air Force base too. So I got to see a lot of Air Force people as, as they went by. Out of every 100 cars that went by, out of the, about half a million that I saw over that time period, about out of one of every 100 cars, I'd say that 60% of the people did nothing. They didn't react in one way or the other. They were either too busy or they day. They didn't care or whatever. A full 20% though, they would honk their horns, you know, give me a thumbs up, say, hey, right on, man. You know, we should make, be able to make our own choice. But then there was this other 20%, you know, they gave me the middle finger, said, uh, you know, F you, uh, get the jab, you're killing grandma those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, it was an interesting experiment in psychology because um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Professor Matthias Desmond from over in uh, Europe. He wrote about the the, uh, phenomenon of mass formation psychosis. Mm -hmm. Dr. Robert Malone talked about it with Joe Rogan, but really the guy that's the expert on it is Professor Matthias Desmond. And he talks about uh, about this phenomenon of these people and, and they're they're in this cult now and you can't break them out. And what's interesting is even as I went through the entire year, we found out more and more bad things about the vaccine, you know, like it wouldn't stop you from catching COVID or transmitting it. Other things that may like goes into women's breast milk. It doesn't leave your body. It goes all over your body. All these things we're finding out that same 20% that was against me, and hated me. They still that same twenty percent was still there a full year later. They would they would not no matter what facts you gave to them. And I would say lots of things to them. I actually had a megaphone out there with me too as I was holding my signs, you know. And I would try to convince them, hey, you know, these jabs are bad. At first, my message was uh, I was against the mandates, 
But then as I found out more and more about how uh, many nasty side effects there are with these COVID-19 vaccines, then my message changed to one of, hey, don't get the shots. So I, Tom, my- I, I, you, you know, I, I bet you money if you did that again today, that the people who would flip you off would be such a small percentage. <laughs> and and the reason I say that is because the last year and a half has been an epiphany for an awful lot of people. Uh, you know, they didn't believe us when we talked about how bad the the uh, jab was and all the side effects and that we needed to be thinking about uh, alternatives, things like uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, chlorine dioxide, things that actually worked against, uh, well, and, and this is a parasitic disease. Whether somebody wants to admit it or not, it uh, it is a parasitic disease. That's why things like ivermectin work so well against it. But anyway, I, and not to get off into the science too far, People have gone through a transformation. We hit a tipping point about a year and a half ago, and uh, it's amazing how many more people today are awake and starting to pay attention. I think we now are actually uh, on the winning side and may even be in the majority for the first time in our lives in uh, the group of people who are saying, hey, wait a minute, things aren't right. We're... The United States is not the same country that we grew up in, and things are not the same. We better wake up and do something different. We're actually, I think, at that point by now. I I think you're right, Dan. Uh, Two years ago, uh, back in 2021, actually, per the CDC, 80% of Americans over the age of 18 actually got at least the first two jabs. But then last year in uh, 2022, in the fall of that year, they came out with the uh, BA4, BA5 bivalent booster, the CD, uh, the big farmer did. And the uptake on that was only 20% Americans. So it went from a total flip of four out of five Americans getting the jab, the initial couple of jabs, to only one out of five getting last year's jab. And now this year they have the XBB 1.5 booster and only about 10 to 15% of taking that jab so far. So the numbers are dwindling. Americans are figuring it out. They probably they say, hey, I took two or three shots. I caught COVID anyways. Might as well not take any more. Plus, they're hearing, like you say, more information about these nasty side effects like myocarditis, uh, palsies, tinnitus, miscarriages, n- uh, nerve damage, um, and then obviously blood clotting issues of which we're going to talk about um, in more depth today because of the survey that I did. But it is interesting, isn't it, to uh, to see the the psychology and the shift. Well, one of the funny things was it was always easy for me when I was out there in the street trying to convince people to change their mind about the jazz because it was every week new material was coming out. If right. you recall, there was one week in like in this the summer of uh, 2022 where Joe Biden had COVID, his wife had COVID, <laughs> uh, Doctor Rochelle Lewinsky from the CDC had COVID. And Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, had COVID all at the same time. They then, all four of them took Paxlovid, and then they got rebound cases two weeks later. So <laughs> those that's the kind of mature. I would tell the people in the street, is, you know, it's laughable how people still want to take the shots and expect something to work when you mm-hmm. can see people just keep ca- catching COVID after they get the shots. So when, when people would challenge me, uh, it, 
I would I would tell them, you know, you don't even believe your own story because like people that were still uh, advocating the shots for others weren't taking the shots themselves because like right. in, in the fall of 2022, I knew that less than 20% of, of uh, people were taking the, the latest bivalent booster, yet they were still out there advocating at the stop sign. You know, the, the cars, when they're stopped, they would uh, say things to me or argue with me if, if they were against me. And I said, you don't even believe your own story. You're, you haven't taken the shot yourself, but yet you want to mandate the shot on somebody else? Why have you have you probably haven't taken your booster yet, have you? <laughs> so by doing that, by challenging people, by challenging the narrative, I was hoping, and I think I accomplished it to some extent out there on the streets, to break down these false claims by the other side about the vaccine, about how it's always safe and effective, safe and effective. That's the constant mantra they they ran without any empirical evidence whatsoever. I would give empirical evidence to the opposite to, in the hopes that, you know, a mom won't jab up her kid or that the people will decide not to get that next booster to stop because there is a cumulative damaging effect to the, to the vaccines. So well, there, there is. And the COVID, uh, even though the COVID became the, the uh, focus because it was model RNA uh, technology that was being employed. They were putting things into our system that were completely different than anything they had done before. You know, they started uh, doing things like graphene oxide, uh, uh, nanobots, nanotechnology, things that were in those vaccines that had never been in any uh, vaccine before. And they technically, they could not call it a vaccine because it wasn't, it wasn't even close to a vaccine. And so they even misnamed it by calling it a vaccine. And uh, it's fascinating how many people now are starting to understand just exactly what's behind this. And of course, uh, I've been involved in the anti-Agenda 21 movement for the last 20 plus years, uh, really 30 years. I, I spoke out against it when they had the first uh, summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. And uh, because I knew that part of their part of their radical environmental program focused on reducing the human population by an incredible percentage, they were talking that it needed to be uh, reduced by ninety three percent. It was in their own documents in the biodiversity treaty in things that they didn't say how it was going to get there or even how long that was going to take. They just said that it had to happen. And uh, lo and behold, all these things that are going on now are also population reducers, any way you want to look at it. Well, the, in my opinion, the vaccines certainly are injuring and killing a lot of people. We're talking into the millions now around the world over the last three years mm -hmm. uh, because of the jabs. And that information or that that data has been looked at by a gentleman like Steve Kirsch, Edward Dowd. They believe that the, the the damage from the vaccines is in the millions of people, and it's it's really a shame. And you know, we keep finding out new stuff all the time about these vaccines. Like you say, they they tried to hide information from us about the about the jabs. And for example, uh, a few months ago, they came out with uh, Kevin McKernan discovered that there was SV40, simian virus 40 promoter sequence that was in the vaccines that wasn't supposed to be in there, or at least wasn't identified to the FDA. It's actually a cancer-causing uh, 
promoter sequence that was in there. And it was in there because they actually used a different process for producing the mass quantities they needed to, to make millions of vials for the world, hundreds of millions of vials, in, in fact. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> so they used a different process than they uh, used in their original clinical trials. That was a cleaner process that didn't use uh, DNA plasmids grown in E. coli to achieve the uh, massive amounts of mRNA needed for the master distribution of the shots to the world. They used a cleaner process, process one is what they called it in the clinical trials. And that's what they got their EUA approval on, not on this second process, uh, which is a basically a dirtier or more contaminated way of producing the uh, vaccine for mass consumption. So that was one problem. And just a few weeks ago, uh, another team out of, I believe, Cambridge and Oxford did a report where they found uh, phenomenon called frame shifting is occurring, where the mRNA from the vaccine is, is or the, our own ribosomes are having a hard time reading that because of the uh, couple of synthetic amino acids that are on the mRNA strand. And that causes productions of nonsense or what's called aberrant proteins about one-tenth of the time. 90% of the time, the ribosome is correctly producing the spike protein uh, from the, that is the vaccines were designed to produce, but 10% of the time is producing nonsense proteins, which I think then uh, contribute to what we call amyloid proteins, which are A-M-Y-L-O-I-D, which are misshaped or misfolded proteins that then become hard for our body to, to break down. And that's what I think is the is, is causing the formation of these white fibrous clots that we're seeing uh, in, the, in the, not we're seeing, but the embalmers are seeing in their corpses. So, so well, I held that good. sign until uh, fall of 2022, but then something uh, amazing happened. As I was learning more about the problems with the jab, Dan, I came upon that movie, Died Suddenly. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of turned my whole focus to doing these surveys. Well, that was a good uh, segue into what we're going to be talking about. And, of course, uh, Dr. John Campbell has been uh, instrumental in trying to expose us, uh, the white fibrous clots and all the problems with this. Why don't you go ahead and uh, talk about how that epiphany you had actually having seen that uh, that film that how you decided i'm going to develop a whole system to catalog and uh really document uh this and how you're going about that sure yeah uh, on the week of thanksgiving of last year 2022 uh the movie died suddenly came out and for your audience uh, who hasn't seen it yet you can still find it on rumble it's about an hour-long documentary and about half the movie is devoted to the six or seven embalmers that are finding these strange white fibrous clots in their corpses. And um, what's interesting, when the movie started, I almost didn't watch it because it, it, it started with like with Bigfoot and the moon landing. And I said, what's going on here? I said, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> and, but you know what? I decided to stick with the movie, Dan, and I'm glad that I did. Because at the 13 minute and 15 second point in the movie, an amazing statement's made. A embalmer from the state of Indiana, Mr. Wallace Hooker, was speaking at an Ohio Ohio Embalmers Association conference in Columbus, Ohio, on the 26th of October in 2022. And he was speaking to a room of about uh, 100 embalmers. He was doing a three-hour lecture. And during his lecture, he showed the audience photographs of these white fibrous clots that he's been pulling out of his corpses 
for the last couple of years. And he asked the room full of bombers by a show of hands, how many of you and bombers are seeing these same white fibrous clots too? And he said almost the entire room of 100 bombers raised their hands, yes, they were seeing the clots too. He then asked them, well, when did you start seeing? And they all agreed it was in the middle of 2021, about six months after the vaccines rolled out. So I said, wow, that's, a, that's quite a statement. Either that's true or false, right? Either that happened or it didn't. So I went to bed that night. That happened. I watched the premiere of that movie the, the Monday of the week of Thanksgiving of last year. So I got up the next morning, Tuesday morning, and I said to myself, you know, I don't think any reporter is going to chase after this story at all. So I ca called the Ohio Embalmers Association myself. They're located in Cincinnati, Ohio, about an hour south of where I live. I live in Dayton, Ohio. And I talked to their president, a Mr. Dan Becker, their vice president, a Mr. Woody Wilson, and their secretary, Mr. David Hicks. And I asked all three gentlemen, hey, did you happen to be in the room at the time that those 100 embalmers supposedly raised their hands saying they're seeing these clots too? Well, unfortunately, none of the three gentlemen happened to be in the room at the time. However, the vice president, Mr. Woody Wilson, who, by the way, is now the president of the Ohio uh, Embalmers Association, he, he just got promoted to president, but he runs his own funeral home up in Marysville, Ohio, about an hour north of where I live, and he does his own embalming. A lot of funeral directors do their own embalming, Dan. Woody said to me, Tom, I'm seeing the white fibrous clots too. So I said, wow, this is a big deal now, right? I have an official officer from the Ohio Embalmers Association saying that he's seeing these clots too. So he's corroborating what these six or seven embalmers in the Died Suddenly movie said they're seeing. So right there and then I decided, hey, I need to do a, a survey, a nationwide survey, which I later then uh, expanded to the world as a worldwide survey to see how big this phenomenon was. So I contacted a uh, friend of mine who lives up in Northeastern Ohio, a woman named Laura Kasner, good friend, who just happens to be an expert in survey monkey. And that's the tool that we use, Dan, to conduct a, uh, a worldwide survey of embalmers to see well, if they were seeing this uh, phenomenon or not. So, and the results were shocking, Dan. Mm -hmm. uh, in the first survey that I did, I conducted it from December of 2022 through actually March of 2023. Um, and during that time, 179 uh, embalmers from around the world responded to that survey. And of those 119, 66%, almost exactly two thirds, are indeed seeing the white fibrous clots. So now we have full co co uh, corroboration for those six or seven um, embalmers in that movie died suddenly. So uh, if you're, if uh, Thumper, could you actually go to the other, there's another PowerPoint that I sent as well. If, okay. Uh, I don't believe I got that one. I okay. Just, that's okay. Well, just, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just real quickly review the, the first survey and then stay right where you're at. You're good. So in that first survey, uh, 119 embalmers, like I said, uh, said two-thirds of the embalmers responding said they were indeed seeing the clots. The main consensus of those embalmers in that first survey is that they were seeing the clots in um, years 2021 is when they first started for them. So it was corroborating that they were starting after the vaccine rollout. Now, there were uh, uh, a number of embalmers. There were 44 of the embalmers did say they saw the clots starting in 2020. Which I thought was interesting, Dan. That was a year that we had COVID, but with no vaccines yet. Mm -hmm. 
And that kind of makes sense because the COVID virus itself has a spike protein on its surface. Mm -hmm. And that spike protein, as I mentioned earlier, can lead to the formation of what's called amyloid or misfolded proteins that then become hard for our bodies to break down. We all have a, a natural enzyme called plasmin that's, that's used to break down normal clotting in the body. But if the uh, clot is misshapenly folded, it becomes difficult for that enzyme plasmin to attach. And then the clots tend to persist. What we think happened, though, with the advent of the vaccines in 2021, when a, when a much larger number of embalmers, we're talking like 100, 110 out of the 119 saw the white fibrous clots in 2021 and 2022, we think that the vaccines had a supercharging effect on the formation of these white fibrous clots from the scientists that I've talked to. Because mm -hmm. if you remember, the shot was supposed to stay, the vaccine was supposed to stay in your upper arm and your deltoid muscle and produce just enough of the spike protein to elicit an immune response for just a couple of days to a week and then be gone. And his job is done. It's got you ready for COVID if it comes. But now we know that's not what happened at all, Dan. That shot goes all over your body, and that vaccine turns your whole body into a spike protein factory, producing spike, spike protein for up to months. Instead of just a few days to a week, they found it doing its thing for months at a time. So what we believe has happened is it's caused a supercharging effect on the formation of these white fibrous amyloid proteins that then grow to a point where they actually stroke you out or, or cause a heart attack. Okay. So, mm -hmm. All right. Now I've got, um, Thumper, I'm going to go ahead and forward this. Uh, I guess I didn't send the second one I thought I had. No, that's uh, okay because I've already, I, I, I pretty much concluded, uh, uh, Dan, so you don't have to have him show that uh that PowerPoint on the, on the screen. The okay. one he's got up here is now the current survey that I'm running. Okay. Good. So, yeah. So what I did after that is I've, I've gone basically around this whole year briefing the results of that first survey with those three key points, right? That the, that uh, two thirds of the embalmers responding worldwide are seeing the white fibers clots that the consensus of those embalmers is that they started in 2021 after the rollout of the vaccines. And then third and foremost, uh, some of these embalmers are finding these white fibrous clots in up to 50% or more of their corpses. So it's not a rare phenomenon. Those are the three key points that I was bringing out from last year's survey. But from talking to the embalmers this year, as we uh, talked to them, we, we saw there's some other interesting things going on in the human body as well that the embalmers are seeing uh, as they're doing their, their embalmings of the corpses. So I sent out a second survey uh, it's uh, started on 8 December. It'll be running through uh, the 12th of January is when I'm finally going to close it. But I actually have quite a few uh, responses already. In fact, what you're seeing now is a presentation of uh, 200 responses that have come in from just USA embalmers. So there's this does not include Canada, uh, UK, Australia, New Zealand, which I'm getting data for as well. So these are just USA embalmers. And the first question we asked them this year, we wanted to know just how experienced these embalmers are. And as you can see, they're very experienced. A lot of these embalmers have uh, 20 years or more of experience. If you average those all together, you could probably get somewhere between 15 to 20 years of experience by the embalmers. Uh, Thumper, you can go to the uh, next slide if you want to. And then we asked the embalmers, well, how many uh, bodies do you embalm per year? And the, if you average those bars together, you get about 100 corpses per year. So they average about two, two bodies per week, each embalmer does. 
So we're talking about experience embalmers that see a lot of corpses. And you can see some of those embalmers, nine of them. I actually know one of the gentlemen who embalms over 300 uh, corpses a year. He's a trade embalmer, one of the died suddenly embalmers from Alabama. Trade embalmers work for multiple funeral homes. They don't work for one specific funeral home. So they, they'll get calls. He'll get calls from 12 different funeral homes of bodies that need to be done. So he's doing an average of a, at least a body a day, sometimes a couple in a day, of which take a lot of times about uh, two to three hours to do an embalming. You can go to the next slide, Thumper. So again, we asked them the same question this year that we asked them last, last year. Um, did you observe the large whitish fibrous clots structures? Uh, and we actually showed them a photo this year in this year's uh, survey of what one of these looks like to make sure they don't confuse them with what's called chicken fat clots. Embalmers have been seeing forever uh, chicken fat clots. They're kind of yellowish in, in color. They're smaller and they tear very easily. Very, very different than these large, long, white fibrous clots that embalmers are are seeing now that which you described earlier, Dan, is kind of like you see, kind of a latex feel to them. They're they're kind of rubbery. They 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 uh, ex, you, know, can, you can pull them, tug on them, but they still won't break. So uh, they're very nasty. And, and like I said, the embalmers have been embalming for you know twenty, some of them even thirty years. Never seen these before until COVID and the vaccines came around. So it's a very odd, unusual thing. So 72% of the embalmers in this current survey um, say that they're seeing the white fibers clots still in 2023. So that's about the same percentage as last year. Like I said, it was about two thirds of the embalmers last year. So you can go ahead and go to the next slide. Tom, it's fascinating too, and I'll make this comment. Um, I believe that about two thirds of the people, I don't believe the numbers, they said 82% of uh, Americans uh, were fully vaccinated. I do not believe those numbers. I know too many people like myself that uh, refuse to get the, the uh, vaccines. I believe that the actual numbers are about two thirds. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well. You know, the CDC was at least honest enough to tell us that only 20% of the people took the bivalent booster last year. So I don't think they're being totally disingenuous. Plus, you, you have to remember, Dan, there's some biasness probably on our parts because we hang around with people who probably took less jabs. That's true. That's true. <laughs> in, in fact, that's true. Uh, they've done polls and they show that Democrats have, have taken more jabs than Republicans and, you know, there's a, there's a it's strange that there's actually a political bent even to this, because well, if you remember at first they, they it was totally the opposite direction when the when Trump was president and the, and he said that you know, Operation Warp Speed was underway the Democrats were the ones saying we're not going to take this jab this Trump jab but as soon as Biden got elected all of a sudden they changed their mind and said oh yeah I got to get the jab because now it's Biden's jab it made no se sense at all <laughs> it's a well, it's, that it's might be, I, I hate to say it, but that might be the bright side of this whole thing is that uh, the uh, the political nitwits uh, are likely to have more of a problem than we are. And maybe maybe that's where God stepped in and uh, said, you know, don't take this because you're going to have to you're going to have to be the ones to help bring this country back. <laughs> mm. Amen. Yeah. So anyway. what? 
after we asked the involvers when 70% of them said they were seeing the white fibrous clots, the next obvious question is, well, in what percentage of your corpses are you seeing these clots? Mm -hmm. And the next slide shows you that most of the involvers were seeing them somewhere between one to 20% of their uh, corpses, but there are a significant number, oops, if you can go back thumper to that slide, there, was, there are a significant number, 38 of the embalmers responded said they were seeing the clots between 21 to 40% of their corpses. Another 21 embalmers said they were seeing the clot between 41 to 60% of their corpses. The, uh, seven embalmers saying they were seeing the clots between 61 to 80% of their corpses. Mm. So it all averages out, if you average the bars, probably about 20% uh, uh, of the corpses uh, overall have uh, the white fibrous clots. And that's down a little bit from our survey of last year in uh, uh, earlier in the year in 2022, when it was about a 30%. And there might be a good explanation for this because as we, we said uh, earlier, you know, 80%, at least according to the CDC, took at least the first two jabs, but that was a couple years ago, back in 2021. Very few people have taken the boosters the last two years, the fall of last year, or the fall of this year, less than you know, 10 to 20%. So if the vaccine is indeed causing the formation of these white fibrous clots, you might be able, you might uh, think that you would start to see a slowdown here in late 2023 with less of these white fibrous clots being formed if if people have stopped taking them in the last couple of years. So that doesn't the fact that they're the the percentage of white fibrous clots in corpses is decreasing a little bit is not a uh, it's, it's, it's not a, a good thing possibly for the vaccines in terms of, uh, you know, pointing the finger, the vaccines being the possible cause of this. And I'm afraid that if a uh, big pharma gets its way and it, and it continues to retool new shots using the same mRNA lipid nanoparticle technology, we might see the white fibers clot uh, percentage go right up again. If people mm -hmm. start taking new shots, you know, RSV shots, shingle shots, flu shots, you know, et cetera, based on, using the mRNA technology. That's why I think that a moratorium should be placed on this technology until uh, investigation could be done to find out if there is indeed a link between the vaccines and the formation of these white fibrous clots. And just keep in mind, remember, uh, embalmers saw zero of these types of clots pre-COVID or pre-vaccine. -pre so mm -hmm. it's still a serious issue, even if you know, tw only 20% of the corpses have these. Now you can go to the next slide, Thumper. Another phenomenon that the embalmers brought up uh, in the last few months is this issue of microclotting, which can be just as dangerous as these white fibrous clots. Um, microclotting happens at the capillary level, basically, and it can impede the exchange of oxygen between the uh, blood system and the lungs. And then, obviously, then your your uh, blood cannot carry um, good oxygen to all your vital organs, including your brain. So the embalmers have seen a phenomenon uh, of microclotting and it's evidenced to them by what appears to be, looks like coffee grounds or dirty blood in the drainage that comes off the corpses as they're draining the blood off to try to put the formaldehyde in to replace it. They're seeing what they describe as, like I said, coffee grounds or dirty blood in the drainage. So this is just a, a serious issue. And we asked him, how many of you have seen that? And 156 out of the 200 uh, uh, embalmers responding in the USA so far, that's 78%, are seeing wow. this phenomenon of microclotting as evidenced by coffee grounds or dirty blood. 
So it's a major issue as well. Ready for the next slide? So again, we asked, well, what percentage of your corpses in 2023 have you, that you have embalmed have this microclotting, coffee grounds, dirty blood coming off of them? And again, the average is right around 20% of the corpses in 2023. And now prior to this, embalmers uh, would see microclotting, but it was a very rare thing. Less than 5% of their corpses would have microclotting. Now that's up to around 20% of their corpses. So it's a quadrupling of this phenomenon of microclotting. And it's, uh, so uh, again, another serious implication that, that the blood has changed. And that's that's the way that Richard Hirschman from the Died Suddenly film, who I'm in contact with about on a weekly basis to see what's happening with the embalmers. He describes it uh, that way, is that the blood has changed over the last couple of years, absolutely has changed. So it's not a good situation, Dan. Well, um, while, while we're talking about this, Tom, um... One, you know, we talked about stroke, uh, how the microclotting and uh, th these uh, white, uh, you know, latex-like substances yeah. are uh, impacting people. And I know that, uh, at least in my experience, it looks like uh, the incident of stroke is increasing. Now, it may be that because we have an aging population, but uh, I hear and I see a lot more people that have been really, really healthy people. And all of a sudden, we're starting to see them have uh, a lot more strokes. Is that is that anything well, that you've experienced? Absolutely. And I think that these white fibrous clots and the microclotting may be a large reason why we're seeing so many more Americans of all ages, like say even un younger ages, mm -hmm. having strokes, having heart attacks, right? I mean, think about it. These white fibrous clots, if they're clogging your veins and arteries, they're finding them on the arterial side as well. That can really impede blood flow. If if piece of the clot breaks off, for example, and then goes to a critical juncture, it can cause a, a stroke or a heart attack. You know, even Justin Bieber, you know, we saw that he had a palsy on one side of his face, and at the very same time, his wife. Uh, had a stroke, and she. And these two people, they're young. They're 28 years old, and they're young, healthy, fit people. And she's he's having a palsy on his face, and she's having a stroke at the same. They probably went and got my guess is you know vaccine from the same maybe bad batch, mm -hmm. <laughs> and got and you had both had negative uh, side effects from the jab. They won't tell you that. They'll describe it otherwise. But people who can put two and two together. And figure out they was they've probably both suffered from 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 the jab, and you're right. There's been an increase in both uh, ischemic strokes and hemorrhagic strokes. Ischemic strokes are strokes that are caused by a clot that breaks off and and gets stuck in a, a blood vessel, and then blocks uh, blood from getting to the brain. And then uh, a hemorrhagic stroke is is a clot also getting stuck in a vessel, but then it. Get, it's stuck to the point where the vessel then ruptures and spills blood out all over the vein. That's called a hemorrhagic stroke. Both types of strokes are way up uh, in the last couple of years, ever since the vaccines came out. Hmm, coincidence? Mm -hmm. You know, these are the kind of things that, that, and by the way, Edward Dow, for example, is doing terrific work in the insurance uh, area mm -hmm. to show that there's a, a tremendous uh, corroboration of, of, the, of the data that the embalmers are seeing 
combined with work like the gentleman like Steve Kirsch is doing with the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. Ed's looking at both uh, death uh, insurance data and disability data. Mm-hmm. And in fact, for example, in the UK, he uh, was looking at their uh, official government uh, pension li- uh, disability system for people of working age. When people of working age get disabled, they can file in the UK for for pension benefits. And those uh, paid claims over the last three years since the vaccines came out have just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. They've just got, and, and this is in paid claims. They pay about uh, 50% of the claims they get in and they reject the other 50% as fraudulent. But of the claims they've paid, those, those paid claims have gone up a tremendous amount. In fact, in the area, in the hematological area, which is what blood clots are, mm-hmm. it's going up higher than any other area uh, of the body. It's going up by over 500% in 2022 uh, compared to the pre-COVID years of 2016 through 2019 to the average. So you have a quintupling of the number of paid claims, legitimate claims, in the UK's official government disability pension system amongst working age people, you know, younger working age people who are claiming disability from hematological problems. So this is really serious, Dan. And like mm-hmm. I said, every way that people are bringing the information to bear, it just it just shows you one after another. It all lines up perfectly to say that the vaccines are causing this. So, well, we've had uh, Edward Dowd has uh, done a terrific uh, job in reporting this, and um, I am reaching out to him, trying to get him to. Uh, be a guest on the podcast too. But uh, George Kaler, who is uh, a guest on our program now and then, uh, George is uh, has spent uh, 60 years, 50 years in the uh, insurance industry as a, as a major broker. And he has indicated to me too that uh, the actuaries are incredibly disturbed right now because insurance companies are literally going broke and they're going to start refusing to honor some of these uh, policies they have. And the only way they can do that is going out of business. And uh, there's a a strong indication that uh, there's going to be a huge uh, percentage of insurance companies that carry these uh, kinds of policies, uh, disability policies that are going to have to go out of business, and also life insurance policies on on younger people. They cannot raise the premiums enough to cover the incredible increase in the numbers, and it's well over forty percent uh, yeah. between the ages of uh, twenty and fifty years old. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dan. They've got a dilemma on their hands uh, because you know when pe- most people, uh, white collar workers, uh, go to work for a for a Fortune 500 company, one of the first things you do is you sign paperwork that says, "Hey, if you die, uh, then we'll uh, we'll have an insurance policy here that'll give you like one and a half to maybe two times your annual salary to your to your widow or your your loved one if you pass away," and for young workers. That was just kind of a, a throwaway thing they did because hardly anybody ever uses that. It never happens, right? Because right? people, you know, between 20 and 40, you know, almost always still stay alive. 
But now that this whole phenomenon has happened in the last couple of years, <laughs> that's killing the insurance companies because they're having to pay off a lot of these claims where they, they never would have expected somebody in their 20s or 30s to, to drop dead suddenly, but they are. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, well... Uh, I think could, we're ready for the next slide, I think. Okay. So uh, one of the things that, uh, another type of clot that embalmers have been seeing forever, what's called grape jelly clots. They look like grape jelly, basically. You can take them in your hand and just, you can rub them and, and kind of dissolve them just like grape jelly. But over the last couple of years, the embalmers have told us that these uh, grape jelly clots have increased in their number, and they've also increased in their viscosity as well. They, they actually uh, feel more like grape jam now, a little thicker. So we asked uh, the embalmers last time, uh, uh, we did the survey whether they're seeing the grape jelly clots. And this time we're asking them again in this survey. And uh, on this slide, it, it said, what percentage of your corpses have these grape jelly clots? And that's up to about 35% of corpses in 2023. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the next slide, mm-hmm. uh, we asked him, well, well, what percentage did you see having those clots in uh, prior to, to the years 2019, prior to COVID and the vaccines? What was your average percentage of corpses that had traditional grape jelly clots. And it was more like 20%. So as you can see, there's been a, a big a rise as well in the percentage of corpses that are showing up with grape jelly, traditional grape jelly clots as well. So you've got these white fibrous clots, you have these micro clots are an issue, and now you have even an issue with the traditional grape jelly clots that embalmers have been seeing forever. Even those are up. So it's just a, a triple whammy of not good information, Dan. You can go ahead and go to the next slide, Thumper. Uh, did you, the next question we asked them, uh, several of the embalmers, uh, in fact, quite a few of them, remarked that, hey, I've been seeing a, a large increase in the number of infant deaths too, which is really sad, right? Miscarriages, you know, uh, fetal demises, stillborns, SIDS cases, and... It, it's, uh, it's a very unfortunate thing. So we asked the embalmers, what do you see in that, in that respect? And the numbers I'm getting in, um, 19% of the embalmers, 37 out of the 200, have seen an increase in infant deaths. Now, the ones that haven't, a lot of them probably don't handle infant deaths. There's uh, infant deaths, uh, first of all, they're, they're rare. They don't happen as much as you know older people, obviously. And sometimes the hospital asks the mother, uh, do you want us to dispose of the body? And a lot of the mothers uh, elect for the hospitals to dispose of the body. Also, uh, infant uh, cremation uh, cremation occurs as well a lot. Instead of actually uh, embalming a body and, and sure. putting it in a, in a little casket, they'll uh, cremate the, the remains as well. So... Uh, embalmers don't see a lot of infant deaths to begin with, but of the ones they have seen, uh, 19%, about 20% of the embalmers are seeing an increase in the number of infant deaths. If you go to the next slide, it tells you how much of an increase they're seeing. It's an average of about 20%. So those 20% of the of the embalmers that are seeing an increase in infant deaths are seeing an increase of about 20% 
which in itself is somewhat alarming, right? Because that's one of the worst things in the world is for a uh, a family to suffer the grief of losing a child, especially one that's come almost all the way to full term. And then at the very last minute, uh, there's a problem or, or even a baby that's born. And then later on, you know, within the next few days to a couple of months, dies mysteriously of what could be uh, uh, these, uh, you know, vaccine-induced death. Mm-hmm. The, the, the uh, autopsies have been done on placentas and, uh, you know, mother's breast milk, for example, and they're seeing the vaccine is getting through in the, in the breast milk. They've seen uh, the spike protein from the vaccine in the, uh, placentas of women who have just delivered babies. So it's very unfortunate, Dan, but it, it appears that the mRNA from the vaccine can indeed pass from mother to infant. I, I'm, you know, if, if this is something that is really important, and I'm going to connect you with uh, a doctor by the name of James Thorpe. You may know of him, but uh, he was a uh, probably one of the most successful pediatric doctors at. Uh, uh, George Washington or Washington University in St. Louis. And uh, he, he basically started exposing the, the link between the vaccine and a lot of medical problems with uh, children and infants. And as a result of that, he was forced to resign his position after 30 some years as a successful uh, medical doctor and one of the heads of the of of the school, <laughs> which is amazing. You know the university's there, and uh, he also worked with the university as well as being a, a pediatric doctor himself. And um, I don't know have you have you met him? Have you talked to him? If not, I'll try to get you connected with him. I I, I know of uh, Dr. James Thorpe. I have communicated with him. I have his email address. Oh, I've already exchanged emails back and forth with him, and I will definitely send when I get the full results to the survey uh, completed in mid-January. I'll send him the final results. And you're absolutely right; he has just been he and, and gentlemen like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Mm-hmm. Ryan uh, Cole, Dr. Pierre Corey. They have been heroes. They have been some of the few heroes in the medical community that have brought all this information to the to the fore, forefront. And boy, have they been punished for it. They've been they've had their licenses going after. And we're talking about distinguished gentlemen. You know, Dr. Peter McCullough has published hundreds and hundreds of papers. You know, he's the world's most famous cardiologist. He's he's just and he's sat on boards. He's actually. Uh, been part of review boards for vaccine safety or vaccines in the past. He's uh, editor and published many journals, you know, it's, and, and he's been stripped of some of these titles. And it's just been, it's been horrible what they put these gentlemen through, but they've all done it for the right reason because they love humanity. They want the truth to come out and they want to put a stop to these vaccines, with the, which they believe in, which I agree with them, are uh, killing and injuring millions around the world. Mm-hmm. So God bless him, and I will send uh, Dr. Thorpe the results when I have the uh, final results in. Good, good. Well, I know he's uh, very outspoken about all this now, and like yourself, uh, when he, when he came on the podcast, uh, he's recognizing that the the uh, rabbit hole is much deeper than just a vaccine. That there's a a major uh, program at work here. 
to uh, reduce population worldwide. Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because, yeah. you know, first I thought it was just a money grab, that the, the big farmer wanted the, uh, the money for all the millions, actually billions of, of doses of vaccine that they've given around the world. I think they've administered, I believe, 13 uh, billion doses of vaccine to uh, five and a half billion people around the planet. So about two thirds of the people around the planet have gotten the vaccine. And, you know, some of them, you know, two, three, four shots, even more in some cases. The good news is, as we talked about earlier, is people are, are taking the vaccines less now. Well, what's interesting, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Uh, Campbell earlier from UK, mm-hmm. he's done a, a total turnabout. You know, he was a promoter of the vaccine when it first came out. But as he yeah. saw the data coming in about how it was, uh, d- doing damage, he, he boy, he changed his tune quickly, and thank goodness that he did. Mm-hmm. And so now he's calling them out. He's uh, really uh, highlighting the excess mortality that we've seen around the world in highly vaccinated countries that you don't see in countries like in Africa, for example. Right. Right. They didn't, you know, my my wife from Kenya, Africa. I think less than 15% of Kenyans took the COVID-19 vaccine. They haven't got a problem with the excess mortality right now in Kenya nor in other African countries. It's only in the highly vaccinated countries where we're seeing 10 to 15% increase in excess mortality. And if, to put that in perspective for your audience, you know, uh, about 3 million people here in the, in the U.S. die every year. That, that was the way it was pre-COVID. And we, in a country of 300 million people, you know, about one out of 100, three, three million die every year. Well, so 10% excess mortality is 10% of 3 million, which is 300,000. So now we have an extra 300,000 people since 2021, strangely, mm-hmm. dying every year. It's, you know, I think that it most, if not all, is because of the vaccine. So bringing well, out this information is, is important, right, about these, about these clots. Oh, wait, uh, Thumper, go back to the uh, couple slides, to the one with the age stratification. So I want to show the audience that as well. Oh, mm-hmm. I think it was a question number 12. There you go. Yeah. You might have to resize it a little, a little bit. But uh, so we asked the embalmers, uh, what age groups are you seeing increase in clotting of all types? You know, whether it's the white fibrous clots, the um, micro clotting or the grape jelly clots. What are you seeing? Well, we're seeing incre- increases to all ages, basically is what we're seeing. It's not surprising that the greatest increases, the longest bars are in the uh, amongst the elderly, but it's, it, it's, it's alarming that the bars, even of people like between 36 to 50 years old, that bar is fairly long. So you wouldn't expect people in the, in the ages of 36 to 50 to, to be dying, you know, uh, having the clotting in them that the embalmers are seeing. So to me, it's an indication that uh, we, we do have a problem here and it's affecting all the age groups, uh, especially those 36 years and above. So, And that one, if so then uh, the very, people can't see it, that is the purple line, uh, 36 to 50 years old. Right. And I think the number of the embalmers, uh, 95 of the, of the 200 embalmers, so almost half of them that... Uh, saw are seeing the clots mm-hmm. saying that there's 
I'm sorry, no, that's 65. 65 out of the, uh, yeah, so one third, one third of the embalmers, about 33% are seeing uh, blood clotting issues in people 36 to 50 years old. And then the numbers go up above 50% when you get into the older age groups. So it's not a good situation. So right. it shows that it's, these are not, it's not a rare phenomenon. Embalmers <laughs> are seeing it a lot. So, so then you speculate, well, how much is happening? How, how many people running around right now living have these clots growing inside them, whether it's white fibrous clots, microclotting? It's hard for me to say. It's, you know, earlier we said, you know, 20% were seeing, uh, of the corpses have the white fibrous clots, 20% have the microclotting, 35% have the grape jelly clots. That doesn't mean that the people running around right now, the 20% of the population has these clots in them. It's probably, my guess is it's probably something made on the order of 5%, but the clots haven't gotten grown enough yet to get to the point where they cause a stroke or a heart attack. But that doesn't mean that they're not, it's not happening on a smaller level inside of like I said, maybe up to 5% of the population that's walking around alive right now. Mm -hmm. The good news is, is that Dr. Peter McCullough has come up with a regimen, a protocol for helping to reduce this type of clotting, both the white fibrous clots, the microclotting, the grape jelly clots. There's a natural uh, soy extract called natokinase that the Japanese have been using for uh, decades that has shown promise in dissolving these white fibrous clots that, that, that our own plasmid has a hard time breaking down. Um, another drug is also called uh, is bromelain, and then a third one is curcumin. So Dr. Peter McCullough on his website has uh, the daily dosage amounts that people should take if they think that they have uh, blood clotting issues, um, you know, as associated with having taken the jab. You mm -hmm. might experience uh, shortness of breath, fatigue, chest pain. Those could be some uh, preliminary indications that you might be having some kind of clotting problem going on. Maybe, uh, you know, foggy brains, uh, maybe some problem with your eyesight because there's lots of small capillaries that feed the eyes that if they're blocked by microclotting, um, that could be an ind indication that microclotting is happening in your eyes. So there's, there's, there's uh, certain symptoms that if you feel that you may have, then you may, I said may, want to check out uh, Dr. Peter McCullough's website and consider taking natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin to help detoxify your body of this damaging spike protein that could be either from the virus itself or from the vaccine, because mm -hmm. both of them are damaging. Right, and we, we've had uh, Dr. Lee Merritt as kind of a regular uh, to our program, and she's also one of the uh, outspoken doctors on the jab. She's got a, a website called The Medical Rebel, and uh, Dr. Merritt, uh, is, she's one of the people that's talked uh, the most loudly about how uh, she believes that the COVID and uh, the vaccines are uh, a parasitic uh, product. They, they, uh, the COVID is actually a parasite and that the vaccines are also uh, something that has a parasitic value to it because of uh, it's a spike protein, which is, uh, you know, creates spike proteins that are 
uh, act very much like a parasite. She says, and I've had this from other medical doctors, the reason that uh, Africa, even though they haven't been as vaccinated in Africa, the reason that COVID was never really much of a problem in Africa, even though there was a lot of traffic back and forth to Africa, is the fact that uh, so much of Africa is using uh, chlorine dioxide to and uh, 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 hydroxychloroquine to uh, reduce the incidence of uh, dengue fever and malaria. And that both of those are an antiparasitic, and as a result, they're taking something that uh, pretty much uh, kicks the COVID in the butt, uh, and, and they're doing it very innocently, not even realizing what they're doing. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, having, like I said, a wife from Kenya, I'm familiar with the hydroxychloroquine that's used in many countries in Africa. Uh, they call it Sunday Sunday, in fact, because they take it every Sunday. Right. And I think that did uh, gave them their continent a lot of protection against the uh, COVID virus itself. When over here, of course, they, they were not allowing us to use hydroxychloroquine right. or ivermectin as um, therapeutics early on for early treatment because they couldn't allow that because they needed to get approval for their vaccine. And if there was a useful therapeutic out there, then they never would have gotten emergency use authorization for the vaccine. So that's why it was poo-pooed over here in the United States. It's a shame that it was because those treatments have shown that they are good treatments. Now, I don't subscribe to the parasite theory. I've, I've, um, I've talked with Dr. Ryan Cole. In fact, I've shown him here. I'm showing the audience now a uh, pictures of the, or the, I've got a vial here of the, of the clots myself that was, was given to me. Mm -hmm. You see those, those yep. are the white fibers clots we're talking about. Yeah. They're nasty looking. And I met uh, Dr. Ryan Cole at a conference a couple months ago, and he's a world famous pathologist from Idaho. And he's actually uh, had samples of the clots too, that he's uh, looked at under microscope and confirmed that they are indeed this white uh, fibrous amyloid protein combined with frigid, uh, fibrin, which is uh, formed out of our own fibrinogen in our system. It's hard to say for me, hard for me to say. And uh, platelets. So he sees uh, the the clots being a combination of the white amyloid protein, fibrin, and uh, white platelets. So no parasites in there, but. Uh, Interesting, interesting information. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of me doing this survey, Dan, was to get this information to people like uh, the CDC and the FDA. You know, when I had the results of the first survey I did back in January of the USA portion of the survey, I submitted it to the FDA to their vaccine and related biological products advisory committee. They were having a meeting on the 26th of January of this year, 2022. And I actually asked to speak at that meeting. They had an hour set aside for oral presentations and they gave 20 speakers three minutes a piece to speak. So I developed a three minute speech with the three key results of my survey. And uh, it, I was hoping to give that, but they had a lottery ensue because they had too many speakers. And they said, I was not chosen. That was unfortunate, but I didn't get chosen as one of the 20 speakers. But I did submit my uh, results of the first survey in written format to them, you know, showing the dangerous, uh, 
uh, link here temporally between the rollout of the vaccines and then the first appearance of these white fibrous clots and asked them to, to investigate. And I did get a tracking number for Dan, but since that time, crickets, nothing from the FDA, nothing from the CDC. They've done nothing with the data that I collected. You know, it's, it's a darn shame too. So that's why I I, uh, I tell your, of the audiences that when I go on these shows is you may have to say no to this because Big Pharma doesn't seem like it's stopping. It's going to continue to use this mRNA technology and uh, lipid nanoparticle delivery system and these new shots that are coming out. Uh, our Congress doesn't seem to want to do anything you know, about it. You know, Ron Johnson's one of the few in Congress is really speaking out. Rand Paul is mm -hmm. another, but they're just two of, you know, 535 members of Congress and, and the, the rest of them aren't doing anything about this. Tom, and, uh, uh, can, can I uh, mention yeah. to you, and I think our uh, audience, probably a lot of them know this, but the biggest single uh, political contributor, the financial political contributor uh, to uh, congressional races is Big Pharma. Number two is actually big banks, but number one is big pharma. It's a pretty uh, a pretty close connection between their silence on these issues, the congressional silence, and the fact that uh, their political contributors are big pharma. I have been told that there are actually three members lobbyists of big pharma for every single member of Congress. So each member of Congress has his own three big pharma people assigned to him. So it's, yeah, it's big business and there's a money motive. And, and I believe that our regulatory agencies like the FDA and CDC have been captured. I, it's, it's unfortunate to say this, but I just think they're not going looking for the problem. I think they realize there's a problem out there with the vaccines, but they don't want to go looking for the problem because I think they know what they'll find if they do their own, if they do their own survey like I've done with embalmers and funeral homes around the world, they'll find the same information I found, you know? And I, I tried to stay as unbiased in my survey as possible. I sent it to as many blue states, for example, as red states. You know, I sent it to states like Ohio, Florida, and Texas. But I also sent the survey out to states like Illinois, California, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. New York, you know? And we actually really didn't find that much in our first survey of um, any much uh, red to blue uh, bias. There was uh, embalmers in all states that saw the clots and, 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 and embalmers that didn't see the clots, both in red states and blue states. So that was kind of refreshing in a way that I didn't see any bias from a political standpoint. But another th thing that I did, uh, Dan, to make sure that the both the last survey and this current one are uh, unbiased is you'll notice in the questions that I never mentioned the words COVID or COVID vaccine. I simply asked the embalmers, what are you seeing? How much of it are you seeing, right? What percentage of your corpses, right? When did you, and when did you start seeing things? So, and I also, we also allow the embalmers to take the uh, survey anonymously. So we know some of them were maybe skittish about taking it, right? Especially if, like if you work for a funeral home and the funeral home director uh, mandated that you get the shot, you know, would you want to participate in the survey then that might prove that the shot is actually causing the white fibrous clots? Because then that, that's potential lawsuit information to go against your employer, the, the funeral home. And the embalmers, you know, it's quiet work. You don't talk about the dead in the embalming room. You know, they, you, it, there's a privacy to it. So we allow the embalmers in the survey to, to remain anonymous. But as I said uh, a few minutes ago, 
Uh, we also did never mention the words COVID or COVID vaccines in the survey itself, in any of the questions. But despite that fact, Dan, both in the last survey and th in this survey, we got a lot of uh, responses. At the end of the survey, uh, we allowed the embalmers to answer a uh, comments box, to enter in what they're seeing if they wanted to uh, uh, give us any additional information. Let me read a few of the uh, embalmers' comments to you, Dan, because sure. quite a few of them talk about COVID or the vaccines, even though, like I said, I never mentioned it in any of the questions. Here's one from the state of Alabama. These are from uh, our first survey that was done earlier in the year. I've seen clotting coming from most any of the points of incision. I mainly embalm in common carotids, and I've seen many white fibrous clots about the same time the vaccine came out. I've seen an increase in the uh, in, since COVID for the grape jelly clots as well. Here's a naysayer comment from the state of California. I've never seen any white clots or any increase in grape jelly clots. Not sure what you're getting at. Do you believe this is vaccine related or something? I've embalmed over 500 people from 2020 to now and have never seen any of this. <laughs> Here's one from the state of Ohio. People that were COVID confirmed had bad grape jelly clots. It was early 2021 when we started to see the white fibrin structures being pulled out of both veins and arteries. And here's another point, Dan. Um, embalmers have been finding clots, the traditional ones, the grape jelly and the chicken fat clots, in the veins of their corpses for forever. But they've never seen, uh, or very rarely do they see clots on the arterial side. But these white fibrous clots are finding them on the arterial side as well. Instead, in fact, he says, goes on to say, prior to 2021, we never pulled a clot from an artery. I just pulled a white structure from the right common carotid yesterday. Mm, wow. Here's another one from uh, the state of Missouri. The clots almost look like large nightcrawler worms. They are usually very long. They kind of branch off the main clot. I started noticing them after the COVID vaccine came out. I've been embalming for the last 13 years. I've only started seeing these clots for the last year or two. Here's another naysayer comment from the state of Arizona. I've seen zero changes to the presentation of human remains in the last few years. It is clear that this is a poor attempt at farming anecdotes to malign the COVID vaccine. Please don't do this or claim that any anonymous survey data is any sort of substitute for rigorous scientific research. Wow. That, that comment kind of made me tickle a little bit because as I said earlier, I as a private citizen took it upon myself to do this survey because the FDA and the CDC weren't doing it. I right. would prefer them to do a more thorough survey, but I've done the best survey that I can in the most unbiased way that I can to at least tell them, hey, there's a signal here. Houston, we have a problem. You might want to go do your own survey. Take a look at this, right? Because mm -hmm. there seems to be this, this uh, temporal link between the rollout of your vaccines and the formation of these white fibrous clots. And now the microclotting issue as well. Mm -hmm. So it's unfortunate that we're that we're in this situation, Dan. I'll read a couple more to you. Here's one from Idaho. My clients have had that have had the COVID vaccine, have passed of COVID, have had remarkably more clots. So, uh, so much so that I began to ask the families if their loved ones ever had the vaccine, which is an interesting point because one of the died suddenly bulbers that I have contact with is a, a woman named Anna Marie Foster, who is a funeral home director and runs her own funeral home in uh, Missouri. 
And Anna has told me that whenever she finds a white fibrous cloth, since she's the funeral director, she'll she'll gingerly go ask the family. Sometimes they even volunteer it. They'll tell her. Uh, she was say, hey, did, was, uh, was your loved one, did they happen to be vaccinated? And the family, without without fail, 100% of the time when she asked that question, after she's found the clots, the family will say, yes, my loved one was indeed vac- vaccinated. Hmm. So <laughs> make of that what you will. I know it's anecdotal, but that's mm-hmm. one in Bulmer's experience. Well, this is uh, kind of secondhand information, but... Um... A friend of mine who was a uh, Montana legislator uh, told me, he said, Dan, I know a lady over in the Dillon, Montana area who is a county coroner. Uh, she's also runs a funeral home over there. And she has uh, experienced uh, uh, an increase in the number of these unusual blood clots in the people that she's been working with. And she actually uh, sent a letter to the state of Montana and uh, whoever, I, I, I can't remember what he said the agency was, but whoever the agency head was, when she sent this letter, she said, I'm seeing a, a, a significant increase in blood clotting in the in the autopsies that we're doing um and i think this needs to be reported and this uh gentleman at the state agency said you had better forget about reporting anything uh if you want to retain your license that was that's paraphrasing and again this is a secondhand discussion but uh she backed off I did ask if she would be willing to come on to this program and talk openly about it. And uh, she had sold her uh, funeral home. She had retired as the uh, county coroner and uh, was moving to Minnesota. And she said, I don't want anything to do with it because I did not like the nature of the threats that I received. Yeah. And, that doesn't surprise me at all, Dan. Uh, there's still a tremendous fear, and that's you know I, I was hoping when I sent these surveys out, I sent them to three dozen uh, national, regional, and state uh, funeral director associations around the world. I also sent them to over 1,700 funeral homes directly via email around the world. I was hoping to get maybe three, four, or five hundred responses. Uh, this current survey, I actually do. I have about 235 responses as of now with the survey still open for the next couple of weeks. So that's good. So uh, we're starting to break the dam a little bit, but there still is this tremendous fear by the embalmers. Like you say, they're afraid of losing their job. They're seeing what's happened to the doctors out there. Um, There was uh, one of the provinces in Canada, I will not name which one, but the president, the president of their province, funeral director association for the entire province has told me that he is seeing the clots. He will tell me privately, but he does not want to come out publicly. Right. What, uh, t- several months ago, I actually went to Alabama to visit with the uh, one of the primary embalmers in the Died Suddenly movie, Mr. Mr. Richard Hirschman, who, as I mentioned earlier, is a trade embalmer in Alabama. And he and I were both interviewed by famous TV reporter Cheryl Atkinson for her full-measure TV show. It's about a half-hour show. 
and it uh, airs uh, weekly, usually on Saturdays and Sundays, on one of uh, various channels in your area. It's nationally syndicated. So it's a big deal. Our interviews have not aired yet. Uh, she interviewed both Richard uh, in a separate interview and then myself about the results of my first survey. But I went down there the day before, and when I went down the day before, Richard took me around to about three or four of the funeral homes that he works with, where he does his trade involving, as he's called by these funeral homes. And I met everybody at the funeral homes, and they were terrific, very nice people. And they all, to a T, told me privately, yes, indeed, they're seeing the white fibrous clots too. But they don't go on the record publicly. They let Richard go on the record. You know, he because he did the Died Suddenly movie, and he's he's doing uh, shows and podcasts, and he's been brave enough to step out. But they themselves don't want to because they're afraid of damage to that particular funeral home's business. So the uh, censorship is still high. The fear factor is still high. But we do have a few brave embalmers coming out. And at least that was the beauty of the, of the survey, was allowing the embalmers to answer anonymously you know, we turned off the IP tracking feature in SurveyMonkey to let them uh, be comfortable in the fact that they could, they could respond to the survey and not reveal who they were. So, Well, uh, Tom, I think it's important that you continue to do these surveys because I believe that you're going to see more response as time goes by when people realize that uh, there is a significant percentage of people that uh, truly want to know what's going on and are willing to to uh, support somebody that has the uh, uh, whistleblower mentality and wants to actually speak out. You know, and 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 this is it's more than just a medical freedom issue. It's a it's a freedom issue. Period. Because you right. know the tyranny is thick on us right now, and the the uh, COVID nineteen vaccine mandates. We're just one example of that. I have kind of a fun story to share with you as we get near the end here. Uh, in August of this year, I went down to Cincinnati, Ohio. Like I said, I live in Dayton, so it's only an hour south of me. And I went to see uh, tennis player Novak Djokovic play in, in the Cincinnati, what's called the Western and Southern Open. And it's a big tournament because it's, it's the main tune-up just a couple weeks before the U.S. Open. And this was the very first appearance of Novak Djokovic. If, if your audience members don't remember, he yeah. was the tennis player that was banned from playing in the United States, Australia, other countries, other tournaments, even the big ones like, you know, Wimbledon, Australia Open, French Open in Paris, mm -hmm. and here at the U.S. Open for uh, not taking the jab. He refused to take the COVID-19 vaccine, and he was ostracized. And we're talking about the number one player in the world. You know, mm -hmm. so it was, mm -hmm. but he stood his ground. He didn't take the, the, the vaccine. And then finally, earlier this year, the, the U.S. finally lowered its vaccine mandate and allowed Novak to come in the country. Well, guess what? The very first tournament he played in was on uh, August 16th in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was his very first match. It was the mm -hmm. second round. He, he got a bye in the first round. In the second round, he was playing uh, Alejandro Fakina, another tennis player. And I went, I said, I, I got to go to that match. So I bought tickets for myself and my older sister, Jenny. It got very expensive seats down just four rows up at the end of the court. Beautiful seats. So you can see what's happening. The end of the courts are the best place to watch a tennis match because you can see the, what they're hitting down the line, cross court. You know, Whereas if you're sitting on the side, you constantly have to put your head back and forth right. like this. Right. But uh, so I was at the end section. 
and uh, watched the match. And um, at the end of the first set, the his opponent actually came up kind of lame. So they started the first game of the second set, and his opponent, Fukina, had to retire, unfortunately, with an injury. So they had some extra time before the next match which, in the main center court, which was going to be uh, Coco Golf, the female star of uh, American star. So uh, they had an interview of Novak down in the court, and the interviewer asked Novak, he said, hey, how does it feel to be back in Cincinnati after a couple of years? And Novak, knowing he was real gracious, he said, you know, I miss the fans. I, uh, I love being here in Cincinnati. It's a great tune-up for the U.S. Open because it's on the same kind of hardcore surface. You know, he could have said, well, I would have liked to have been here the last couple of years, but you wouldn't let me because <laughs> I didn't take the jab. Yeah. But he, like I said, he was real gracious. So at, after he did that, uh, had that interview, he went over to the side by where his bench are and the, and the umpire stand, and he signed the large, giant tennis balls the kids have for autographs. So he's taking his autograph pen, and he's signing their tennis balls. He then comes uh, to my end of the court at last, and he passes me. I'm standing kind of right, right in the middle of the of the back there, and he passes me, and he goes over to the corner where there are some Serbian uh, fans with the Serbian flag. He's from Serbia. Novak mm -hmm. is. Yeah. So he signs their flag and they're all cheering over there. Then he finally comes to me last and he sees me because I'm, I'm holding, I'm wearing this shirt and I'm also holding up <laughs> this shirt. Yeah. For your viewers or listeners, the shirt, it's a t-shirt that says Novak Djokovic is his own man. But instead of saying Novak, N-O-V-A-K, right. it says Novaks, N-O-V-A-X. Right. Novaks Djokovic is his own man. And he comes to me last, like I said, and he takes out his pin. And I was actually going to give him that shirt and and uh, and because I'm wearing another one. I was going to have him sign the But he starts signing the one that I was going to give him. So I said, well, I can't give it to him now because he's signing it for me. Okay. As he's signing it, I said, Novak, God bless you for standing strong against the COVID-19 vaccine tyranny. And he didn't say a thing. He just smiled and nodded his head up and down like that. And then when he finished signing the shirt, he did something with me, Dan, that he did with nobody else. He took the pen out of his right hand and he put it in his left hand. And then he extended his hand to shake my hand mm -hmm. as if to thank me for recognizing this. So, he, he did that. Pretty cool. we, had, we had a we had a moment there. We just stared at each other's eyes, smiled at each other, and shook hands. And then he walked off down to the tunnel right after he signed my shirt and disappeared into the locker room. So then I took that shirt and I went around the entire inside of the stadium and the outside of the stadium and through the food court area for the next half hour, saying basically, so you see, Novak Djokovic likes my shirt. He signed it. You know, mm -hmm. they made him sit for two years because of this stupid jab. But he decided that he'd rather fight for freedom than chase after trophies. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he did, right? And he wound up winning that tournament. He wound up winning that. He beat the, um, at that time, number one player um, in the world. Who was that? Uh, Carlos Alcaraz. He beat him in the finals. And then he beat, uh, uh, he won the U.S. Open a month later in Flushing mm -hmm. Meadow. If you remember, right. it was kind of embarrassing right. for Moderna because they were sponsoring the tournament. And yet, mm -hmm. Novak Djokovic won the tournament. A guy that refused to take their won the tournament yeah. were sponsored by Moderna. So it was quite a moment there. And after about a half hour of me going around that shirt, because nobody else had acknowledged this, Dan, 
There's thousands, think about it, there's thousands of fans at indoor courts and outdoor courts of this tennis conflict watching all these first and second round matches going on. Thousands of people, none of them had a, any a shirt or sign like mine. They had signs that said, you're number one, you're the GOAT, we love you, Novak. But nobody was admitting to this man that he had been treated so poorly for the last two years by not being allowed to be in our country. So I wanted to make sure that the, that the public knew that, that this man had been mistreated and that you know people should be ashamed of themselves, uh, Americans should be ashamed of themselves for keeping him out of the country. So about after a half hour, I collected about five or six security people that asked me and my sister Jenny to leave uh, the complex. So, really? so we, yeah, and I didn't make a scene. My job was done. Mm -hmm. I got to meet Novak, apologized on behalf of my country, got him to sign the shirt, and then displayed it to pretty much almost everybody in the complex, letting them know that this man had been wrong. But that's what we need to do. That's what freedom fighting is all about. We got to speak out. We got to let people know what's going on, right? Because if we see, if we go silent, then the tyrants win. They get their way. We have to push back on them. We have to let Americans know this is wrong. And that helps give them the courage to do the same themselves. Absolutely. And incidentally, uh, his career was uh, cut short. Well, not cut short. He's do still there. But uh, two of the most valuable years of his uh, his uh, uh, tennis life were left out. I mean, he was at the peak of his uh, of his profession, of his sport, and at that time they they cut him short on it. And that's not the first time that's happened, but it's been for different reasons. I I uh, you know I think of uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, the fact that uh, he was a a Vietnam War protester, they literally imprisoned him for two years because he didn't believe in the war. And uh, and as it turns out, he was right. It, it was a and, political and thing. And the beauty of Novak was he didn't have to compromise that because he wound up still having the record. He's got, I think, 23 or 24 mm -hmm. uh, major championships, which is, which is one or two more than Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. So Novak is technically the greatest tennis player of all time. Mm -hmm. And he still achieved that milestone and didn't have to compromise or sacrifice. He's, you know, he stood strong against the jab and the jab mandates. And I'm, I'm sure he's, he feels good about himself, not just from that yeah. standpoint, but because he also knows he does not have this vaccine running around right. inside his body. Right, exactly. Well, you've you've been at a a, a critical moment with uh, the fact that you were forced to resign uh, your position. As you said, it was a very lucrative, very good career, and uh, it it forced you to uh, uh, retire prematurely. You you lost that income, but at the same time, you were. Uh, uh, retired from the Air Force as a major, so you did have something. But it's important for people to understand you gave up quite a bit to to uh, do what you're doing right now. I did. Uh, you know, I, I at 165 thousand a year. If I worked for another three years, that's a half a million dollars. That's five hundred thousand dollars. At the time I uh, quit, I did have two kids going through college, expensive universities: University of Dayton and Miami of Ohio University. That uh, you know, <laughs> they're not cheap. Mm -hmm. So, but you know what? Uh, it was more important to me, like I said, to my health. First of all, is more important. The principle of it, like I said, our founding fathers uh, 
stood up for the core principle of this country, Dan, is individual freedom, right? And we've got to stand up for it. So anything that's an assault on individual freedom, is we should say right off the bat, that's a no-no. And when you start mandating, coercing people into taking an experimental drug that violates the Nuremberg Code, like I said, you know, it is so unethical, we have got to rise up as a nation and say no to it. And, mm-hmm. it, and this is a test of us, right? And I think to, to a large extent, Americans kind of failed our first test because a lot of people did comply at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But as you say, people are starting to wake up now. And as we come, we'll have other challenges coming in the future. Maybe not in the medical area. We, we might have another p- pandemic where they want to mask you up and make you jab up again. But there's other things coming down the pike too, right? Central bank mm-hmm. digital currency. They may want to make you, you know, get rid of paper cash. Um, Fifteen-minute cities. They may want to try to use the climate crisis as a reason to curtail your your freedoms in traveling. We've got all kinds of things that may be coming up here, so we have to start flexing and using our no muscle. We have to, as Americans, be able to say no. We're not going to comply. Well, and uh, interestingly, uh, we we've gotten some. Uh, some other videos here. Michael Dabari, the gentleman who was on just before my program, uh, also known as Badass Uncle Sam, uh, Michael had sent us a couple of uh, band videos. Uh, uh, Thumper, uh, can we get those up on the links? I don't know if Michael had them up uh, where other people can get them, but uh, two of them. The first is a video called Jab to Death, and the other video is stroked out, <laughs> which, uh-huh. uh, you know, is really excellent. And uh, uh, so it's important for people like yourself that have the commitment, have the conviction of uh, continuing to do the right thing to stand up and be counted. And we that's all we say. I mean, we keep saying that. We've been saying that on this program long before COVID came out, because this is only part of a much bigger picture. And that much bigger picture is a move uh, toward a global, uh, very central, strong central government, global government, uh, get rid of the United States of America as a sovereign republic, uh, destroy our constitution and the uh, very essence of America, which is free market uh, capitalism, uh, what we have, have suffered under with our current um, climate is not free market capitalism. We've been living under crony capitalism or what I would call fascism for a very long time because uh, they don't like free markets. If you look at the the big foundations and the big corporations, the last thing they want is a whole bunch of little businesses out there that are competing against them. They want to be the only dog in in the block, and they want to be the one that's controlling everything. Um, yeah, Dan, the only problem is we have to fight another epi- epidemic that's going on right now in our country, and that's an epidemic of cowardice. We've got too many, especially men, that are not willing to stand up and fight for the freedoms that they, right? In fact, uh, during uh, early 2022, if you remember in January of 2022, that's when there were 
you can see over in Australia, for example, they were starting to put people in quarantine camps. The cops were dragging people off to quarantine camps. You had the protest, the truckers up in Ottawa, Canada, that were getting beat on by the, the cops there. So I started thinking about, well, what's going to go on here? So I actually sent an, a letter to all 88 of my Ohio County sheriffs. 80, uh, Ohio has 88 counties. And I sent a letter, uh, an email, basically, to all 88 of them with a uh, template, a letter, an open letter that I had written for them to sign and post on their websites saying that, hey, in my county, the citizens are not going to have to wear a mask if they don't want to. They're not going to have to jab up if they don't want to. And no business or government building can, can discriminate against them if they choose not to wear a mask or get a jab. And I actually based that on a uh, actual letter that was posted by a brave uh, sheriff in Wagner County, Oklahoma. His name's Chris Elliott. It's a county just outside of Tulsa. And he posted an actual letter, and I included that actual letter to the 88 county sheriffs of the state of Ohio, asking them to post on their own websites a similar letter, you know, so we would know where we stand, right? So we, you're not going to get somebody coming to your door, dragging you off to a quarantine camp or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But do, do you know, Dan, that not a single one of those Ohio County sheriffs posted such th that letter on their website? Not, not a single one of them. Mm -hmm. I did get email responses from about 15 to 20 of them that said, well, hey, the people in my county, they already know how I feel about my policy. I have an open door policy. I've been reelected three times. They know that. But they, yeah, they, they gave me a lip service, right? Right, Thumper. They gave me a lip service, but they wouldn't go the extra step to, because most people don't even know who their county sheriff is. Right. If you do, wouldn't it be nice to know, wouldn't you have, like to have the comfort of knowing that he's going to stand up for your rights as a citizen in your county? You know, But they wouldn't even do that. So that, to me, was an indication that we still have a serious epidemic of cowardice in our country, that we need good men, Christian men, to step up and do what is right and not be afraid to speak out against the tyranny. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, Sheriff Richard Mack has put together a very similar uh, a very similar program. He's he's trying to get county sheriffs all over the country to stand up. Now it's a CSPOA, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, but he's also working with several attorneys out of Utah to uh, get uh, county sheriffs to actually uh, sign on to a lawsuit to uh, sue the vaccine companies for the deaths, the unexplained deaths and the increase in deaths in their county. I'm going to uh, send your letter along to uh, Richard Mack. He's a friend. And uh, I'll, I'll send that along with your permission and ask him to get in touch with you. Absolutely. And I think I've actually, I think, chatted with him on a podcast prior about, about a year or so ago. He probably, probably does not remember me, mm -hmm. but uh, I would love to be put in touch with him again because I totally uh, uh, believe in what he's doing there in terms mm -hmm. of constitutional sheriffs. And uh, yeah, exactly. Association, because, they, yeah. yeah, they have, they're, they're the most powerful person in your county because mm -hmm. they're elected by the people. They do not answer to the mayor, they do not answer to the city council. They, they answer to you, the people of the county that elected them. And they can be this, they can be what uh, uh, Pastor Matt Truella calls the person that stands in the gap for you. 
He's got, he's got a concept called the doctrine or the lesser magistrates. You probably are familiar oh, with yeah. it Very already. Nice. Yeah, Dan. And basically it's, it's if any tyrannical edict, such as a vaccine mandate, it comes down from the higher level, from the federal level, Joe Biden, for example, or, or for even the state level, then it's the duty, not just the right, but it's the duty of the magistrates at the lower level to not comply with that and actually actively resist such an edict or policy if it's not if if, if that policy is contrary to the laws of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I was a, a county commissioner for a time and um, very much signed on to that doctrine of the lower magistrate. People don't realize that local government and local officials are supposed to be under our constitutional system, they're supposed to be the very uh, highest uh, law enforcement and administrative enforcement officers in our country because they're the closest to the people. And they take an oath, right? They take, they an, take oath an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's right. So they, sometimes they have to be reminded of that. <laughs> sometimes they forget they, they've taken this oath. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom, if you don't mind, uh, Thumper, we've got a, a copy of Tom's letter, Why I Will Not Comply with the Vaccine Mandate. Uh, could you put that up on screen? Because I think people, uh, this is something that people need to understand. There are people out there like you, Tom, that are willing to uh, not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Yeah, um, when I got fired from my job, I'm sorry, go ahead, Thumper. I just going to say, I'll get it up on screen here. Yeah, while well, he's mentioning that it, it, that, it was an attachment to the email that I sent to the general and to the entire 30,000 people that worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I had actually gone out with my sign. Uh, I had taken my two-week vacation in late September of 2021 before I quit my job to basically, um, yeah, he's got the letter up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually no. That's the that's, that's the wrong one. That's yeah, the wrong the, one. Yeah. That's the embalmer clot uh, yeah. survey. Oh, okay. but, but I'd actually. Uh, yeah, but I had actually sent an email. Then the email that I sent to the general and all thirty thousand people that work at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, I mentioned that I had been on the street. Then some of them probably had seen me over the last couple of weeks because I was holding that no vax mandate sign at that busy corner, and I also noticed that when uh, when cars were sitting at the corner. Maybe there was quietness, and then one car would start honking its horn like in agreement with my sign, and that would give the courage then to the other cars to start honking their horns too. So then after you know like 30 seconds, all of a sudden now you got 15, 16 cars all honking their horns at the corner, you know, as they're all sitting waiting on the stoplight. So that's what that's what it takes, right? It takes maybe sometimes that first person to say, "Yeah, you're right," you know, to stand up, right? We're not going to take this, and then that causes the others to join in finally. They see the bravery displayed, displayed by the first person, so then they come come along as well. And that was one of the things I think that they did was really insidious with us during COVID, and at least at the Air Force bases, they, they isolated us. Like I said, they sent us home, they made us telecommute. They wouldn't let us, would not let us talk to each other about how we felt about the jabs, the masks, all, six foot rule, all that stuff. You know, they, because I think they realized that we started talking to each other, that we would all agree that, hey, this is bogus. We're not going to do this. And then we would stand up and unite and fight against them by keeping us isolated and separated that the tyranny won out. 
right, right. Yeah, and yeah. That, you, what what you're talking about is a uh, something that tragically is more common today. When I was a kid, um, people, if they saw a wrong, uh, more often would speak up about it. That is one of the sad statements about America living in a world where things got too easy for us. Things got, uh, we, we were a little too prosperous. We had too many uh, sports in our life. We had too many Sunday afternoon football games and things just weren't that tough for us. And then all of a sudden that became more important to go along with things that even though we knew they were wrong, we went along with them because we didn't want to lose that, uh, that connection with a soft and easy lifestyle. Hey, people wake up. We're going to, not only are we not going to have a soft and easy lifestyle, we're going to have a lifestyle that is going to be literally despotism if we don't stand up and say no. You're absolutely right, Dan. In fact, I was watching over the last couple of days, some videos by, uh, Professor James Lindsay. I don't know if you're familiar with James. Yep. He is an expert on communism, the communist Marxist tactics that are used by the and the woke ideology, and how they uh, basically are, you know, the tactics they use to try to take over a, a society in a cultural revolution, which we're right in the middle of right now. Okay. You know, when you when you got people saying that men can be women, and you got people out there agreeing with them, you know that you're in the middle of a cultural revolution. And one of the things that James points out. That's the most important thing is, is to ground yourself in the truth. Know what truth is, discern what truth is, and and don't lie. And, you know, even if it's even if it's a little uh, a, a lie that is, oh, this is harmless enough. It, you know, every time you do that, you chip away a piece of your soul. And it makes you easier to give in for the next lie. So it's the best way to uh, combat the, the lies of, of the leftist Marxists is not to give in whatsoever. That's absolutely right. And um, what you're talking about, the cultural revolution we're going through right now, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, uh, we, we've been taken over by Marxists in this country. Uh, we have Marxists and communists in control of much of our government. And the only way we're going to get our country back is by refusing to go along with the program. We just we just need to have the guts to stand up and say, you're not gonna play the game with us because we know what you are and we're gonna stop you dead in your tracks because we're not gonna comply. Exactly, and there's there's and there's and ways you also can counter that, in not just knowing the truth and not just not complying, but also exposing them, right? Expose, expose right. the other side. For, so when bystanders, people that are on the fence and don't know who's, you know, who's right, who's wrong, you can you can show the the, the leftist Marxist tactics for what they are. You know, for example, uh, if, if if somebody is, is uh, trying to say, we want to have uh, pornographic books in your school library for your kids, you can combat that. You can you could actually take one of those books and start reading it in front of the in front of the school board, right? They'll stop you immediately because the, the but then you've made your point, right? You've made your point that this material, these pictures are so terrible, the words are so rough that there's no reason that this should be in the in a library for a young child. So you're doing then, you're doing a great job of selling my program next Tuesday. <laughs> 
that's exactly what we're going to have. We're going to have a program, a lady who has been exposing the filth that is in the library and the school system is going to be our guest with two others. And one of them is uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, George Carneal, who is wrote a book uh, from uh, uh, from Queer to Christ. He was actually uh, in the homosexual community for years and years and uh, realized what a horrible life and what a horrible uh, sinful mess he was involved in. And now he's one of the most outspoken uh, people in the world on how important it is to get out of this. I mean, you you, you do a great job. That That's going to be next Tuesday. So, uh, you know, maybe you want to tune in next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, that, those are powerful stories, right? With somebody who's actually been involved in that culture deeply, they're in the cult, somehow is able to work their way out of it and, and claw back to reality and goodness and truth and what God wants us to do. So those are really encouraging stories. That tells me the battle can still be won. That there's, there's, Even though we're in the midst of a cult, cultural revolution, even though they've taken over a lot of the institutions, we can still take them back one brain at a time, one human at a time, one interaction at a time. Absolutely. And it, it, it just takes the the uh, will and the guts to do it. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we did a program on Sunday about, you know, the things that are happening to us. But it's so important for uh, people to understand that we really need to get back to the power of prayer and the power of uh, our Lord and Savior being part of our lives, and I, I don't, I don't like to get preachy on my show, but the fact is, we've got to realize that without uh, God as our, uh, our not only our Savior but also uh, God as our protector, we won't have His support unless we are the lions that are willing to fight the battle in His name. Right. He's written a playbook. It's called the Bible. Yep. It's, it's truth. It's, it helps you discern what truth is and what truth is not. So mm-hmm. and you don't well, have to be, you, people do not have to be confused by the woke left. If, they, if they're starting to get right. confused, just go reference the Bible, see what it says. It'll give you a true line to North. Well, and understand the fact that uh, our founding fathers made uh, the 10 commandments and uh, natural law or God's law, uh, the foundation for our U.S. Declaration of Independence and U.S. Constitution. We are a the first recognized Christian nation that was founded under the the idea of unleanable rights or God's God-given light, uh, rights. And, um, you know, so we're the only one that's that way. If we don't stand up, we're going to lose that. Amen, Dan. Couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Well, Tom, it's been a terrific show. Uh, You're quite a gentleman. I really appreciate uh, everything you're doing. Is there any way, uh, would you tell us the best way to stay connected with you uh, and our listeners so that they can find out more about you? Sure. People can reach me at Thomas Haviland, H-A-V-I-L-A-N-D, Thomas Haviland at sbcglobal.net, or they can call me at 937-431-0801. 
I'm happy to talk to anybody, especially embalmers <laughs> right now, to let, let me know what they're seeing in the embalming room. Whether they're seeing clots or not, I want to know. Thanks, well, Dan. this has been a fabulous show. I thank you again, Tom, and I will stay in touch. I am going to send uh, your letter to the sheriffs off to uh, Richard Mack, uh, as well as a recommendation that, uh, that he uh, get in touch with you and support what you're doing as well in Ohio. And incidentally, well, my, I, my daughter lives in Ohio, so uh, <laughs> anyway. All right, well, great to have you as a guest. We will, uh, we will be back in touch. I see that uh, uh, Digga 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 Dan is ready to go with his program. And so, uh, Dan, please take it from here. And I want to thank our viewers for joining us, for connecting the dots. Join us again next Sunday and next Tuesday for Connecting the Dots. Thank you, Thomas. Excellent show. Love the information. Thank you, Thumper. Appreciate it. Thumper, I'm so sorry what happened to your loved one. That's just terrible. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of it, and um, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and uh, to everyone else out there uh, who has lost a loved one in this. We have one of our own hosts here who lost her husband due to the treatment. Okay. Uh, our nurse net and she's become a very very active person in uh, bringing that information forward and what exactly happened to her husband she's a nurse by the way wow and uh you know she i'm sure would love to have contact with you and i will make sure that she uh is is uh, has that uh information because uh, Absolutely. her story is is just as important. Her husband was a healthy person, ended up in the hospital with the COVID and the remdesivir. Yeah. And, and the ventilator. Yeah. yeah. That happened to my neighbor in Arizona to his wife. Uh, he, she got COVID and uh, she didn't want to go to the hospital and he insisted she go to the hospital. She was diabetic and the first thing they did was give her remdesivir which forced her uh, whole her whole uh, uh, respiratory system to shut down, and yeah. she ended up dying on a ventilator. Oh, and she was a terrible. healthy woman, uh, oh. you know. And and he even expressed to me because my wife and I both got COVID after he had lost his wife, and uh, we did, you know, took care of ourselves at home. And uh, he expressed to me he wished he had. Uh, talk to us about it before he put her in the yeah. hospital. That's a shame. Yeah. Uh, also, Sad. I'd like to say as one veteran to another, thank you for your service. Yeah, oh, exactly. Same, same here, Thumper. Thank you. And I will say the same thing. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. It's hard to hear these days because I loved, I loved my job in the Air Force. I really loved it. But, boy, I have such shame now for the military and what they've become. Not the guys at the lower level, but the senior officers. It's like, whoa. What are you doing? Cowards or tyrants? Yes. Not good. Well, believe me, there's a lot of retired flag officers that agree with you. Uh, the the brave ones, it seemed like, were uh, really cashiered out of the military, and the ones that replaced them were the <laughs> spineless jellyfish that yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate, but I think you're right. Yep. All right. Well, Dan, take it from here. I'm sorry. We went a little bit into your program. No, friend. sir. No, no apology necessary. I am, uh, you know, a child sitting at the feet of giants. So <laughs> thank you.
From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee. Across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea. From Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt. 